Father God, thank you for this beautiful day that you have made, for this day of rest where we can come and find refreshment and um, uh, be renewed by the truth of your gospel and um, the promises of your word. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts now as we continue to um, look at the um, how you have revealed yourself as the triune God, that you would continue to transform us through these truths. And if we pray this all for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Right, uh, welcome, everyone. <laughs> it made it just in time. <laughs> How's the Lord now? How's Malcolm? <laughs> okay, so we've reached, uh, I think it's our fourth part of the Trinity. Um, hopefully it's our last session on the Trinity um, this morning, and then we will continue on our journey on the doctrine of God. If you can remember briefly from last week, um, what can you can you remember what we we looked at concerning the Trinity? Just like in two sentences. Okay, yeah, the deity of the Spirit. I think we highlight to that absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I unpacked um, the heart of the Nicene Creed and. Um, Basically, the, the, the main issue of that day was concerning the deity of Jesus. The Arians disbelieved that Jesus was eternally begotten of the Father, that he was God himself, uncreated. And um, the, what prevailed was the orthodox view, which, was, which uh, Dylan and uh, Storm uh, reminded me, uh, this week, uh, it was championed by the church father Athanasius. If you want to do some interesting reading and you want to have a start, you want to tackle reading the church fathers, a great place to begin is with Athanasius and his one book. This is all, stuff's all free on the internet. Um, it's public domain. Um, he's got one work called On the Incarnation. And um, it's, it's highly edifying, and um, yeah, it's well worth your read. Okay, let's dive into uh, this week's uh, session, and what we're looking at um, this week is the differences within the Trinity, because I think with this question has, has come up, the, so the, the looking at how the different persons of the Trinity have different roles, but also how they are still, while distinct, still are all essentially God. So we'll look at that first, that each person is fully God and shares the same essential attributes. Now, the um, Reformed theologian, Louis Burkhoff, maybe you've got his systematic theology. It's a classic. It's a good one to have. Um, he says, the whole divided essence of God belongs equally to each of the three persons. So what he's saying here is that the divine essence is not divided up between the three persons of, of the Trinity. It's not saying that the, the Father has a part of God and that the Son has, is an expression of a part of God and the Spirit has 
there's a bit of God. No, it's that each persons of the Trinity are entirely and completely the divine essence as the Trinity. Okay, the Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father is God. Because the Son is as much God as the Spirit is God. As, as, as the Father is much God as the Son is, is, is God. They all share the same divine essence or, or substance. And so what this is, is the implication <clears throat> excuse me, of this truth is that there is no subordination within the Trinity. It's not as if the Father is the main God and then like Jesus is his deputy and then the Spirit is somewhere down there. Okay? Unfortunately, that, that's a common perception that even a lot of Christians have. Yeah, and it, this, this idea of subordination in the Trinity has resurfaced in, recently in theological circles as well. Um, it's not helpful. Well, it's one of the first things it's not helpful, but, but it, it's not orthodox. Okay? It's unbiblical. This is not how the Bible reveals um, the persons of the Trinity. Okay? All persons of the Trinity in Scripture are revealed as equally God. It's not a big God and a small God. Okay? And then a, a third God somewhere down there. We worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit equally as one God. So any questions about that? Yes, Malcolm. Okay, it's Yared. Yeah, well, well, Malcolm, you have correctly answered your own question there. <laughs> okay, but you see there, and Jesus, it's not only that verse. There are a couple of times where Jesus speaks in the gospel where it, he, he speaks in this sort of subordinationist way. Okay, um, but you need to understand those, as you correctly showed, through the context of his incarnation. There was, you know, this is the part of the mystery of the incarnation, that as much as Jesus is truly God, he's also truly man. So in his time on earth, he had to, um, you know, there's a difference in, you know, in how he's speaking in, in certain things regarding um, uh, his divinity, although he remained completely Divine. Remember, he, he came, and we looked at this, I think, in, in earlier sessions. His glory was veiled. Okay, so there were certain things that he, 
he, you know, he, he, I mean, he was a man in every sense. I mean, in, in his weakness, he got hungry. He, uh, he, he wasn't displaying his divine glory all the time, although he, he was still divine. Yeah, and we get glimpses of that divine omnipotence and um, omniscience and omnipresence through his miracles and the signs and wonders. So he's, they're certainly there, but there's a, the glory's veiled. And I think that's the sense in which, you know, we've got to, that's how we got to make sense of those passages which we find Jesus talking that way. Yeah. It's essentially a man because it's it's not God in his fullness. Yeah. It's the aroma of God. It's just it's in his human form. He's in his special form. So he can be killed on the cross. Yeah. But he's he's not dying as God in his fullness. Yeah, God the Trinity didn't die. But Jesus, who is truly God, did die. That's the this is the mystery of it. Good. Well, it's, it's this way. I have to. Yeah. I'm going to try and twist it to what uh, my human, limited human mind wants to try and figure out. Exactly. And it's especially with you know, something like the Trinity, that in its very nature, there's mystery to it. We are never, we're never going to nail it down. And that's why it has caused so much, it's a source of so much controversy in terms of, you know, you know, sort of false understandings coming from it is because as humans we try to rationalize something that can't be put into a nice neat little box. And that's when you tend to get the heresies is trying to over-rationalize God, basically. God's God. We've got to let him be God. And we've got to make sense of how he's revealed himself. Anything else? Or any? Yeah, I mean, it's the Spirit's work in our lives in accomplishing our salvation in Christ is absolutely central. I mean, he is the agent which applies the redemption that Christ has won for us on the cross. Yeah. Low view of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's continue here. And let's look at some scriptures that affirm the equal divinity of each 
persons of the Trinity. So firstly, let's look at where Scripture teaches the deity of the Father. And this is probably the kind of clearest out of all in, in Scripture. Um, I mean, especially the language that's used in the New Testament, God the Father. I mean, you can't get more clearer than that. It's, it's all over the place. And um, God is often synonymous with the Father. Okay? Um, Jesus addresses his Father as the one true God in John 16, 26 to 28. And we often see that the Father and God is interchangeable. Um, example, in the high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 3, and also places like Romans 1, verse 7. So I don't think most people have issues with saying that the Father is, is God. The, the issues tend to be with the Son and the Holy Spirit. So let's look at what the Scripture teaches concerning the Son. Now, bear these Scriptures in mind, especially if some Jehovah's Witnesses start knocking at your gate and they make you know, big claims that the Bible does never teach that Jesus is God. We never claim to be God. I mean, it's patently false. There's a, there's a perception that they know their scriptures well. They don't, actually. They've been taught a certain little narrow thing, their little, their little verses. If they knew their scriptures properly, they would see that the scriptures clearly teach that Jesus is, is God. Jesus is Lord. So it's okay. It's not only for to debate Jehovah's Witnesses, but for the sake of our faith. We believe this is the central tenet of Christianity that Jesus is Lord. The clearest example in the Gospels that that proved to us that Jesus is God is that Jesus, time and time again, happily received worship when he was on earth. Any scriptures, Matthew 14, 33, Matthew 28, 17, Luke 24, 52, John 39, 38. Now think about other times in scripture where angels have appeared to humans and the immediate reaction is from the humans, what do they do? <laughs> you guys imagine this angelic being in front of you. The, your instinct is to, to bow down and worship. And what do the angels say in response? Don't worship me. I'm not God. If so, if that was the case, well, you know, Jesus doesn't refuse worship at all. He receives it. And he receives it rightly because he's God. Okay, so Jesus receives worship. Jesus is also given divine titles throughout Scripture. Okay, he's called God. John 1 verse 1, obvious one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Titus 2.13 says, Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, that verse is not referring to God the Father. It's referring to our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, or what about um, Hebrews 1 verse 8? It says, but of the Son, he says, now it's God speaking to his Son here, O God, well, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
The scepter of, your right, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So there God is calling Jesus God. That's also similarly in Psalm 110, that messianic psalm. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Okay, the other Lord is Jesus. Okay, he, Jesus is called Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end in Revelation 1 verse 8. Who else can fit that title but God himself? It's not a title that is, can be given to a human being. Okay, in Acts three fourteen, Jesus is called the Holy One of Israel. Now, who is the Holy One of Israel? Yahweh. Okay, that's the a name that of given to Yahweh in the Old Testament, so the, our true God. Okay, in Psalm twenty three, from Psalm twenty three, and then that's you know, in Jesus takes on this name himself in the New Testament. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And who is the shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. So Jesus is directly making these claims to divinity by calling himself these names, like the good shepherd, the bread of life, the living waters, because they've all got Old Testament links which have associations with divine attributes. Hey, Revelation 19, verse 16, Jesus is called the Lord of Lords. It's uh, how explicit can you get? He's not just a Lord, like the Jehovah's Witnesses would say or the Muslims would say. He's the Lord of all Lords, the only God. So there's some of his names that are clearly pointing to his or reveal his divinity. But look at also Jesus possesses divine attributes. Okay, for example, we looked at Rambo weeks ago. We looked at God's attributes of divinity. Now just we apply them to Jesus as well. Okay, aseity. Who remembers what aseity means? It's that as God, part of his, him being God is that he sustains, he's self-sustaining. He doesn't need any, he's not dependent on anyone else. He doesn't draw power or strength from anywhere else. He's completely sufficient in himself. And so that's why Jesus says of himself in John 5, 26, the son has life in himself. Okay, then we see that Jesus is eternal. Who can think of a scripture where Jesus claims eternality? He always existed. Okay, yeah, that's Hebrews 13. That's, that's true. But he says of himself in John eight fifty eight, before Abraham was, I am. So it's a clear claim to not only yeah, he existed even before Abraham was. But the I am there is a, in Greek, it's ego eimi, which is where we get Yahweh. Okay, that's how God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 3. We're going to look at that in probably two weeks' time. I am who I am. Jesus is claiming to be the great 
I am. And he's claiming that he, there was never a time when he did not exist. Okay, he's also the creator. Okay, where do we see this? Yeah. In the Beninging, okay? All things, John 1, 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, similarly, Colossians 1, 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions and or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Okay, and then in similarly Hebrews 1 verse 2. Glorious text. Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So Jesus, the universe was created through Jesus because Jesus is God. Okay, he also sustains all things. This is also an attribute of God, his sustaining power his hand of providence, we're going to look at in today's sermon, um, to, to hold all things together. And that's what Colossians 1, 17, is Christ holds all things together by the power of his word. Welcome, guys. Okay, Jesus also works salvation for all his people. Come, Ryan, Natalie. Okay, only God can save his people. Hey, Jonah 2, verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord and Jesus saves. The other thing Jesus only does, which only God can do, is that He forgives sins. Only God can forgive sins, and that's the big scandal when He's ministering places like Matthew nine and Mark two. He forgives people their sins, and the Pharisees are champing at the bit there, saying, you know, how, why, blasphemy, how can, man can't forgive sins, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said, well, <laughs> that's the point. Okay, he's also the judge. Only God judges in the day of judgment. And that's in John 5, 22, that's what he promises that he will do. He's going to promises to return to judge the living and the dead. Only God has the authority to judge his creation. Okay, not only is he worshipped by people during his ministry on earth, he's also worshipped by the angels. And you see this in Hebrews 1, 6. Now, if he was a lesser divine being, basically like an angel, well, they're not divine beings, but you know what I'm getting at, a heavenly host, the angels wouldn't worship him. But because he's God, it's absolutely appropriate for the angels to worship him. So any questions, comments there regarding the deity of the Son? 
Yes, Annie. Yeah, that's true. He's coming into usher in a new creation, something that only God can do by virtue of being the creator. Yeah, you can't get around this. <laughs> All right, let's then, yeah, we're not going to finish the Trinity <laughs> today, but that's fine. Let's lastly look at the deity of the Spirit. I think the deity of the Spirit's also, um, yeah, not as upfront as... as uh, as he uh, should be. So the Spirit is given, he's given divine titles because he's God. So a classic one is Acts 5. Okay, there Ananias and Sapphira, they lie about to the, the apostles about the money that they had received from the land. And so what does Peter say to them? Well, he says in verse 3 that they have lied to the Holy Spirit. Then in the next verse, in verse 4, carries on and says, You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. Okay, so he's, by implication, he's calling the Holy Spirit God. Okay, so the Spirit shares in the work of the Father and the Son. Another clear example of this is 2 Corinthians 3.17. It's explicit. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Okay, so the Spirit has is given a divine title of Adonai, okay, of Yahweh. Now if we look at the, like Jesus, he has divine attributes. The Spirit also has divine attributes because he's God. Obvious one in his name. Okay, it's called the Holy Spirit. Who only, who's holy? Who's the only one who's holy? God. Okay, none of us in our essence, in our being, are holy. We are counted holy by the righteousness of Christ, but only God is, is holy. And so the Holy Spirit being holy means, shows us that he is God. Okay, the Spirit is also eternal. He wasn't a creation of the Father, but he has always been with the Father and the Son from all eternity. And so that's why Hebrews 9, 14 calls the Holy Spirit the eternal spirit. Okay, his work of inspiration of the prophets and the apostles in, in writing the word of God, this also shows that he's divine. Okay, man can't inspire divinely or a created being can't inspire the scripture. It's by nature, it's from the Lord. Okay, the Spirit is also the agent of, of regeneration. Like we see in John 3. Okay, we've got to, we're born again by the Holy Spirit. Okay, he's, the Spirit seals us with the Spirit of sonship, showing that we, we God's adopted sons, as Romans 8, 14 tells us. And he's also the agent of resurrection, as Romans 8.11 shows us, the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave now dwells in us. Okay, and then also we see that the Holy Spirit empowered the Son in his earthly ministry. 
Okay, Jesus does his miracles by in virtue of being God, but he also ministers. He is, he's given the fullness of the spirit in which to minister, a fullness of the spirit that is unique to Christ. And he drives out demons by the power of the spirit, as in Matthew 12, 28. So all these, these activities of the spirit are revealing ultimately well, it is God. Only God can do those things. Only God can raise the dead to life. And that's what the Spirit does in us when we're born again. Any final questions? Great. Well, let's pray.